Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the TES International Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Worth. In this episode, we speak with Wan Crouch, Education Director at Globe Educate. We discuss her career path that led her to such a high-level role, how she works to ensure schools in the group are up to speed with the latest educational research and the power of learning communities, if they are used correctly. Juan, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. To start with, it might be really interesting just to get an insight into you, uh, your role, what you do now, and, and how, you've, you know, how you've come to be in this position with, with Globe Educate, because it sounds like, from we've spoken before, you've got a very sort of interesting career path that's taking you all over the world. Yeah, thanks, Dan, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So I was born in, in Vietnam, and, and I moved to Australia when I was four. So you can detect, I'm sure, my Australian twang. <laughs> That, uh, that is there. Um, I was educated there, grew up there in a beautiful coastal town in, in Australia. Um, and I specialised in early years and primary education, uh, where I began working in Sydney for a few years. Um, um, and around that time, there was this great conversation surrounding this research about the Finnish education system. And I was really intrigued and I wanted to find out more you know, what made it so great. And like all things, I wanted to go directly to the source and find exactly what all this fuss was about. So I moved to, to Finland uh, in the middle of summer in Australia, uh, moved to Finland where it was like minus 28 degrees. <laughs> and, and I taught there and discovered this whole approach to learning about language immersion um, and found, you know, four-year-olds conversing naturally and confidently between three different languages. It was remarkable. Their approach to outdoor learning was phenomenal. And this understanding of inquiry through play um, and how to challenge their readiness was really exciting for me. And that, that set me off on my international career because I really then wanted to discover how different countries approached education and mm. how that aligned and fit in with my own philosophy. Uh, so that led me to working in lots of different roles, leadership roles, teaching roles, and working with different curricular models in, in Thailand um, and also across schools in, in the UK, in both the private independent sector, as well as, you know, multi-academy trusts that you have there. Mm. That led me to where I am now. Uh, in my role as director of education across Globe Educate, as, as you said, it's a group of schools where I focus on teaching and learning projects. Uh, so it may involve professional learning workshops, uh, organizing global events, connecting with external partnerships um, and affiliating with those, but also conducting school sort of consultancy type visits to support. But it's concentrating on establishing collaborative approaches uh, to clarify really what we do, how we do it, uh, and how that impacts on the learning, not only for our students, but also for our, our leaders and our teachers uh, and our parents. And that's what I love about what I do mm. in my role. I'm able to work with and alongside everyone who makes up our global learning community that, that we do have. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, you certainly experienced all the climates that the planet has to offer, it sounds like. <laughs> Um, so on that, particularly you talk about the, the different schools and, and so forth there. I mean, can you give us an example in terms of locations and you know, the number of schools or the you know, number of pupils you're sort of theoretically, you know, overseeing? Sure. So our Globe Educate schools range in size, uh, in curriculum, uh, context and country. So we have big schools, we have small schools and, and everything in between. Uh, schools in France, uh, Italy, Spain, Andorra, Portugal. 
the UK, uh, as well as Canada and, and India as well. So we have over 50 schools and growing by the day, providing learning to over I think 25,000 students. Um, Curriculum-wise, around 50% of our schools are IB schools and they offer the DP program. Uh, and within some of those schools, they also offer the primary years program and the middle years program. But our other schools also utilize, you know, the English national curriculum. So at an international sector level uh, that offer the IGCE and, and A-levels. Um, and we also have schools who offer the country's national curriculum itself. So in, in Canada, it's the Ontario curriculum. Uh, we have the Spanish curriculum and the French curriculum that's delivered within a bilingual sort of context. Mm. So you can see that within such different contexts of teaching and learning and settings, it provides Globe Educate with a rich background uh, to share different perspectives and knowledge and, and ideas on curriculum and mm. pedagogy. So part of my role is to really capture and harness all of that expertise and experience so that we can share the knowledge, um, improve upon our own practice and the provision that we offer, regardless of the curriculum that schools are offering. The focus is on developing sort of teaching and learning to the benefit of our students. It's to connect us mm. on an educational level so that we're united, I guess, in our understanding of what curriculum is, what it looks like, uh, how it's articulated, how we can adapt it to suit our different learners that we have um, so that it is really engaging and relevant for our students. Yeah. And how do you, I mean, in some ways it sounds like, how do you make that work when you have got so many different curriculum types and so many different school systems? You know, do you have to sort of take an agnostic approach and, and look at it above the curriculum and make it more about overall learning outcomes you want them to achieve? Yeah, so we have an, we've established something called the Platinum Standards and it's a criteria of um, areas to focus on as a school that what we think makes a good school and we conduct visits where it's a collaborative uh, approach where we chat and talk and observe and make uh, judgments, not in a um, diagnostic sense, but, but a judgment based on where we think we are at as a school and how we can further develop that to improve it. And so we engage in action plans and uh, work with our leaders and our schools to improve that. Um, collaboration and pedagogy is key to what encapsulates who I am on a professional level. So I truly believe we are stronger together. Um, we've added technology to this and then what results is really uh, a perfect way to engage in virtual learning communities. So that's how uh, we've really tried to establish that connectivity amongst, across uh, and within mm. uh, our schools, working with educators sort of across the different schools. I've placed it as a priority in a virtual context. Um, it's been highly effective in overcoming professional isolation. We've got teachers who are working in different countries and if they're in a small school, they may be the only a teacher of that subject or they may be you know a single subject teacher um, or you know just not able to collaborate with others so being able to have a, a, somebody to connect with has been of high impact and just developing that united and collaborative spirit and, and approach so that regardless of whatever curriculum model the schools are using we all come together uh, to engage in a professional discourse that that is a relevant issue um, that will impact what they do or what we do in our classroom. So if it's working with the IB curriculum, if it's working with the English national curriculum or within a bilingual text 
context, it's still all relevant. Um, we've given opportunities for our group of educators passionate about a specific focus to uh, connect with colleagues from across the continents to share good practice, to collaborate on, on initiatives that they are passionate about um, so that they things like, you know, engaging readers and, and promoting outdoor learning are just some of the learning communities that we've established where mm. colleagues uh, upload photos and resources, ideas, they, you know, web links. They edit on shared documents. Um, they engage in regular video meets or chats to roll out initiatives, you know, across all of our schools. I think we are so busy as educators, as teachers, as leaders, we don't want to waste our time but if it means being involved in something fruitful and productive um, and that there's a result arising from it, then there's, there's higher levels of, of engagement and mm. higher levels of um, improvement. I suppose that that's quite good, I guess, in your position again, then that ability to go between the different schools and, and sort of look at best practice and share our knowledge and ideas and what's worked well for one school, you can sort of pass on to another who might be approaching the same challenge or, or link them together. I assume that kind of collaboration must happen quite a lot and as you say it must be good for the teachers that you're sort of in that position to, to do that networking for them almost well exactly so that when we uh, visit our schools and we uh, create these action plans and develop them with our heads of and senior leaders we can see that if there are areas or initiatives that they are working on we can connect them with other schools who, who may have already gone through the research process of finding out and then deciding uh, how they go about addressing that action uh, so we connect so they can find out um, how best practice, I guess, and to share good practice. But we also connect uh, schools who maybe are on the same journey, who are looking at, you know, reading or if they're looking at writing progression or if they're looking at conceptual learning in whatever context. We can connect those schools together so that they then um, have more heads and, and people to, to discuss with and converse with and to share good practice and ideas uh, to then roll it out to the rest of our schools. Mm. Are there any sort of areas you're particularly looking at in that, you know, at the moment, um, you touched on outdoor learning, maybe, is that like an example of where you're trying to provide that insight for schools to take forward? Yeah, so we always begin with what the research is, is telling us. So, you know, outdoor learning, and, and I guess it comes back to my roots when I was in Finland, outdoor learning has become a, a big thing in terms of impacting not only children's in interactivity and relationship with nature but the soft skills of, of risk-taking and, and uh, problem-solving so we always start with with the research what it's telling us but then we do, we critically analyze it we look at the source we think about the results of what um, people are doing around the world in different contexts we look at a variety of papers and, and documentation and then we engage in professional dialogue to come to conclusions about the next steps. We carefully consider ways to move those initiatives forward, but that will best suit our particular context of, of learners and, and setting uh, so that it will be of moderate or, of course, high impact to, to learning. So things like reading, which is something I'm also passionate about, you know, globally research indicates that that students are less engaged with reading, especially between, you know, primary and secondary years. So, so that was what, where I started. We, we literally um, talked about, well, this is the issue. And I invited educators who were just as passionate and worried about this phenomenon to help do something about it so it impacts back into our students. So I had about, 
I think, 40 educators involved and committed where we investigated different strategies, how different schools were tackling the issue. We spoke to experts, you know, and based on that research, we devised initiatives that we would focus on or we chose to focus on developing. Um, and the wonderful thing about being part of our learning community that maybe is different, I guess, to, you know, the social net networks or platforms that are available, you know, around the world, mm. um, is that while we begin as an online community, as a virtual platform, we can also create opportunities for participants to meet face-to-face, which is what we were able to do with this particular reading community. Um, we have Love Educate events, um, uh, you know, annually. And so there are opportunities there where we can create time and um, opportunity for our participants to actually meet. So after eight months, I think, of collaborating, collaborating online, we had about 20 participants able to meet in Barcelona where we had a read meet, a face-to-face read meet, and we broke up into groups and developed our issues and, and areas that we were wanting to develop together. Mm. Uh, that then made that collaboration stronger. So even after we returned back to our schools, because they connected with faces and names, um, they were able to collaborate, I think, on a stronger level and uh, were able to roll out initiatives across our schools um, to and be responsible for that. So that sense of leadership and building capacity in, in leadership mm. is also an added bonus on how we can develop these communities. One, one sort of thing of interesting to understand there is when you talked about the research side of things and how you sort of critically analyse that. How, how actually do you do that? I mean, is that just you on your own? Do you gather sort of you and other sort of senior people in the company? Do you engage with other sort of heads that you work with in the past? How can you sort of make sure that you're analysing it and getting a sort of properly, you know, an, uh, conclusion of your own analysis? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not, I don't think, in a structured way where um, we feel because we're not sort of having to um, report back. It's just really, we have a gut instinct as educators of what the research is telling us anyway, mm. but it's fine-tuning that so that what we're hearing and what we're seeing is in fact what is the same phenomenon that we're noticing within our particular context of schools uh, and then deciding we have a criteria to say, well, what has worked? Why did it work? How does that then impact or relate back into our school setting? Can we adapt or do we need to adapt to make sure that it uh, works? What are the challenges that we need to overcome? And, And that's at that level of design, if you like. So once we decide that this is a great initiative and the research supports that, then it becomes a logistical situation where our learning communities or or the participants on our learning communities engage and devise because they know their schools best. They know their context and they know their learners best. So while I can say, oh, let's think about how we can roll this particular initiative out, um, they will be able to to tell me the pros and cons, if you like, or the challenges that that I may Mm. not have considered. And that gives us more information to be able to roll it out in a more successful nature i think what um, we don't want to do is have that top-down approach where we say this is what must be rolled out without having a clear understanding of what that looks like in our schools because we don't want it to be an anxious um, venture we we want it to be positive we want it to be of high impact and the only way we can make sure that it is successful and effective is if we almost um, prepare and be organized in in understanding what the challenges are and and making up for that so that there is that smooth road ahead well and i suppose that goes back to the idea that if if the different schools have different curriculums you couldn't 
especially sort of mandate a new way of delivering something because it wouldn't work like that but it's about providing that sort of knowledge and insight and ideas and yeah and sometimes it's just trialing sometimes it's just Mm. trialing it out so we've had you know um, a few trials going on with a lot of our schools and and we identify an initiative that we think will be of high impact and then we look at the issues but we look at the potential idea of well actually let's trial this out with a number of our schools just so that we can be clearer on what the obstacles are and and to really understand if this is the right tool that we would like to roll out for our schools is it um, something that will tick the box that we want to uh, create. So we had trials that, that take place across our schools at, at different levels and, and about different things. And then uh, we report back, for once, for want of a better word, we just have an analysis of, of what that tool did, how it worked on a practical level. And then that is discussed at senior level and, and you know, the XCOM community where they decide or we decide at the implications of that and, and whether or not we move forward with that partnership with that external provider. Mm. And on that, are there any sort of good examples of things you've done or research you've put into practice or, you know, things that, that have been sort of implemented and that you've seen results from or you know where are you at on those kind of journeys to be able to sort of see that we did a and it led to b yeah well at the moment rolling them out has been the the first uh step and we haven't as yet it's just too early for us to be able to track impact that's our next step that's what Mm. we want to be able to do next to be able to say well this is what we did this is the action if you like let's look at how that impacted on practice within the classrooms but then also more importantly let's track and see the impact of that initiative on our learners how did it change their perception how did it improve their attainment their assessment their progress uh because that's what it's all about there isn't really any point in conducting and doing things if is it if it isn't going to be of impact for our learners so that's mm-hmm. our next step that we really want to do we've got some just initial data but it's uh, needs to just be a little bit more fine tuned and structured to provide i think a key analysis mm. of what we do and and future actions can you can you talk a bit about what these ones are though that are in progress like what are they looking at specifically well we were looking at english attainment i think looking at uh, reading and writing speaking and, and listening in terms of literacy levels so identifying how we can track progress uh, using tools, which where whether they're online tools or using a combination of, of online tools to check in and make sure that they are aligned with our teacher assessments as well. Using them not as, um, I guess, the way some national curriculums use them as a yardstick to measure and to say that this is therefore the be all and end all results of what that child or learner can achieve it's used as a check-in point really to say right we think this child is at this particular point of learning in in reading Mm. Uh, we're going to have a check-in in in january to, to see if they're on track with that we can then put in place further measures of where they need to be at. So if they, uh, we're expecting them to be at a certain level and they're not at that in, in January, we have time to put measures into place to support that and to inform the parents of that. I think one of the things we don't want to do is make it a summative assessment where this is what you do as an assessment at the end of the year and then that dictates what everybody thinks you are at or that you are capable of at a summative level. And that's not the case necessarily. We want it to be used in a proactive way Mm. so that 
don't feel like it is a high stakes assessment. It's used in a productive way to help their teaching and to help be able to identify key areas to develop further. I see. And, and I mean, going back again, one, you talked about how you'd got teachers together in, in Barcelona and, and so forth to talk about some of these sort of things you were, you were looking at and, and so forth. And I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about coronavirus in, in due course and how that's changed. But but more generally, I mean, being able to do that and come face to face and discuss again, that when, when that is, when that was possible, when that's possible again, I presume that does offer another level of sort of as you talked about, but another level of engagement that really must help particularly like head teachers and so forth to to have that kind of networking ability within their own, you know, not with teachers from different curriculums, different parts of the world, and really share ideas and, and pass on knowledge, even from just like the smallest little little change of practice through to a great a discussion on something high level. I mean, that must be quite a good way for you and your team to to facilitate that. That must benefit people quite a lot, I imagine. Definitely, because at the read meet, um, they they attend, but before they attend, prior to attending, they have a, a I guess a list of things that they bring to the table. So I ask them to have resources or um, something to share or something to um, bring to the discussion. So most of uh, the participants had you know powerpoints or, or whatnot that and photos that demonstrated some of the initiatives that we had discussed on a virtual level, how that had been rolled out or how it had been interpreted and rolled out within their schools. And so really, as one teacher said to me, I came with my five strategies of what I had rolled out in my schools to support reading and to build that community of of readers. And I came away with 10 others that I know I can easily, just with some tweaks, and just with discussions with my senior leaders and my team that we can make happen and make work. And that was just across, you know, five hours of interacting with each other. So building on that and, and for, the, for our senior leaders and our heads to understand that the impact, you know, it's a low cost, high impact measure that not only do, do you come away with a professional learning and you've got teachers engaged and motivated, they then come back to school engaged and motivated to help motivate and engage and, and roll that through with their other existing uh, colleagues back in school. So, you know, it is, a, I would say, a low cost, high impact measure. But not all of our learning communities are just rooted initially in, in research. We use them just as vehicles, you know, to connect educators to get together just so they, they can support and share good practice and learning. So we've got platforms um, for our primary and early years teachers to connect at a grade level. We have platforms for secondary teachers to connect at a subject level where they can upload videos and web links and resources or just opportunities for teachers to pose questions, to ask ideas for support. Um, so it gives them an opportunity and a space, a free space that's not necessarily monitored or um, led by anybody, but it's an open space, a non-judgmental, risk-free environment for uh, our colleagues and our educators to connect. And if they want to create their own video meets or if they want to create their own live chats, they have accessibility to do that mm. um, and to give them ownership over the process. And that's been a valuable value as as well we're starting to think about how um, we are going to consolidate that so that there is a curriculum space that's accessible for all of our educators regardless of curriculum that they can upload their planning I'm just in the initial stages of it now where they can upload their planning download it adapt to it add to it improve upon it 
and then re-upload it. So the idea of this um, sharing of practice and continually learning and that we are a collective community of educators who just want to improve and to support each other mm. continues. Do you think, I mean, you sounds like you've obviously been in the international sector for a while and, and sort of seen different education systems. Do you think that kind of knowledge sharing and, and chance to connect, particularly maybe at the non-senior level, is that something that has existed in a good way for a while or is it sort of something that's evolved more recently as a sort of recognition of actually this would be really beneficial? I think it's it's evolved. I mean, I, I've been always passionate about learning communities. I first came across that term when I was uh, researching for my master's degree, actually, and some post-grad work. And, and it was coined by a gentleman called Peter Senge in 1990. And he was from a business perspective and looking at how, as organisations, they needed to adapt and be flexible to change in order to flourish. And so what we has happened, has evolved, I guess, is moving that into um, schools as, as learning communities so that they can actually access different people and different ideas to engage and, and flourish. Now, I would say that, that and I, I don't know, maybe our listeners would agree, but I've been a, a part of learning communities where they say they're learning communities and they, they title themselves as learning communities, but they're not really learning communities in the sense that it's that ownership because it's more the sense of, well, this is something that, you know, an administrator or a principal or a head of school has had to do. So let's just put some people together, throw them together, and they have to work on this project and this is the end result. So it's been dictated to them. And so what has evolved and I think is different and has become more effective is this understanding that it's not something that you have to do. That I mentioned earlier that teachers are busy, educators are busy, leaders are busy. We are ha- we want to engage if we know that there is something fruitful and productive mm. at the end of it. We don't want it to be if we're just going to have to sit there and be told what to do and only just sort of follow through the motions. So my focus has really been about you being passionate. You know, we might do a bit of this and we might do a bit of that. That's not the case at all. There is a structure. There is a purpose. This is our focus. This is what our goal is. This is what we want to achieve. This is the time frame in which we want to achieve it by. Here is um, the responsibilities, I guess, how we share out that responsibility. It's a committed process. And, and the ownership is there so that when the initiatives are developed, they have their role and their responsibility is to go back and disperse that information back to senior leaders to also then roll that out and be leads for it within their schools. So not at a senior level, but again, just providing um, opportunity for teachers who may not want to be in management, but to have a voice and to Mm. be able to have impact and know that they are contributing to the overall process is, is powerful. So I think um, mm. those types of learning communities um, have, have much to offer in terms of being able to connect and share and to have different ideas. As you say, we have colleagues who work in different frameworks and different curriculum frameworks, and some of those can be limiting, but somehow being able to have that dialogue and, and sharing different ways of, of addressing an issue opens up ideas and, and also um, people who may have come with, you know, very strong ideas about a particular element, being able to have a, um, a space to just professionally d- have that dialogue about mm. things, change people's mind. And it just gives different um, levels of perspective that I think just builds and improves on your teaching. Well, that, that's a really sort of nice sort of positive end there. But I suppose in some ways that Maybe we have to now address the um, the, ish, the other issue of the year, which is coronavirus. 
Um, sure. Obviously, I'm sure that, like everyone, would have affected you massively, particularly in the things we're talking about here in this sort of you know global setup you're in, and the different school systems in the different countries, and the way they've all had to sort of react to different um, you know laws and, and changes to to you know expectations. Can you talk a little bit about how you manage that process? You know, just how did you try and keep all your schools moving together and moving forward? Again, was that about sharing best practice and what they were doing online and remote learning and things like that? Yeah, so as school closures became a reality for us, uh, and because we already had these virtual learning communities established, it made complete sense to build on those practices that we already had in place and just to add, I guess, further layers to support. But we really wanted to connect our, our leaders. As you say, they needed to just share ideas on not only on a curriculum level, but on a practical level, the letters and and the um, protocols and the processes. And as different governments were sort of mandating different um announcements it was just being able to tackle that together and know that they weren't alone so within such a range within our schools we didn't want to introduce a uniform platform for online learning because we felt it was important that we limit the amount of changes that were already taking place and thrust upon for the students and parents and and teachers so schools chose their own online platform based on their existing protocols and setup so but what we did was we connected those schools who were using similar platforms so schools who were using google classroom were connected together schools who were using uh, microsoft teams were connected together those who were using seesaw or tapestry they could connect together so they could share uh, the functionality within the settings or, or certainly disperse information, you know, as new add-ons were being included by the software providers. Um, we had a, a school in, in Madrid where the head of the IT department sort of pre-recorded uh, her staff meeting that she was leading to her colleagues about Microsoft Teams. But that was then sent to our other schools who were choosing to use that platform so they could share mm. it as training for their teachers, but also for parents so that they could understand how to access and interact using the platform. Um, we also did other things, you know, like the weekly video meets. We organized different groups and subgroups, you know, the heads of schools, not only by curriculum, uh, but also by geography. So like I said, as government announcements were being made, they needed to really react to those announcements. So having them together on a geographical level was really supportive but by also connecting it on a curriculum level with all the assessment changes that were taking place with the IB, with, you know, Edexcel and, and, and whatnot. Mm. It was making sure that they understood what that information was and how that could be rolled out effectively across the subjects. Um, we had primary curriculum leaders, you know, secondary teachers together, just across and within countries. And we used tools like Padlet, um, Zoom, the Zoom breakout rooms to share the challenges and the practice. And, and what worked really well was when we summarised, you know, those conversations so the top tips and resources that arose from those meetings were written out and they were distributed so it wasn't just you know a core group of people that had access to that information we wanted to make sure that everyone had access to that information so that that, that was clear um key information you know and strategies and and whatnot they they were just shared out so that was really nice um but we also talked about uh, the positives as well because I think that was really important. So while we had time to talk about the challenges and, and to share top tips and best practice, it was just as important, if not more, to share the positive moments of how we were supporting 
our parents and students and staff on an emotional level, how we were checking in with them. Mm. You know, they, they made sure they had their coffee breaks together. There were conversations about how there were, you know, some staff had birthday drinks, the virtual birthday party, you know, and, and quiz nights. And even we had parents connecting. We, we made sure that parents had access to a platform that they could connect with. So we had a school in Milan where parents were um, making pasta together. They were teaching each other how to make ravioli. And they had, um, you know, I think a book book sort of reading club mm. organized amongst themselves as well. So I know there've been lots of positive heartwarming stories across the world from schools and lots of our teachers have received you know, personal thanks for supporting their child through lockdown, not only I think on an academic level, but more importantly on that pastoral and, and caring level. So I think that has been one of the most overriding factors that I've discovered from, from COVID, uh, yes. that connection and the importance of the relationship amongst our educators, but also with our parents and, and students have been, you know, really, really key. Hmm. Um, a beautiful story I have is, is about, our parents in, in one of our schools in, in Mallorca and they had organized, the parents had organized amongst themselves, you know, a designated time. Uh, so the students were having, or their children were having their online lesson. And at some point they all decided they stood behind their child so that they could see their teacher and the teachers could see the parent and the parents just started clapping and applauding unanimously sort of, um, you know, mimicking that, yeah. that eight o'clock uh, applause that people were doing around the globe for the health workers and professionals and well-deserved, of course. But with that action, you know, it was such a pivotal and emotional moment for our teachers because they needed it. They felt that they were being valued and they were being supported and that they were just um, doing their best and trying their best. And for the parents to be able to actively show that, um, it meant a great deal to them and, mm. and to us, you know, really. Um, we also supported on a professional development level at that during that time. So we offered online let classes for teachers to visit. So our teachers from around the schools um, and around the world just offered and hosted times where they would be conducting their online lessons and, and educators would sign up and visit these lessons to, to learn. Um, and that was really powerful. We had lots and lots of positive feedback from that because after the teachers would attend the lesson, they would obviously offer some feedback to the teachers who had given that lesson. So again, creating that conversation and, and professional dialogue to support. Um, we supported students by making sure that events that had already existed on the calendar uh, continued to play, take place, obviously adapted to the online environment, mm. but they served to sort of boost uh, morale and, and school spirit, um, especially over Easter. We found that the stringent lockdowns measures for our schools in Europe meant that for most of our stu students and children, they were confined in their homes and, and most of them in apartments for at least seven weeks without being allowed to venture even outside. Um, and they may not have even had an access to sort of a private garden. So when Easter came about, um, we wanted to support our students and, and parents. We acknowledged and empathised, I guess, that the holidays they had hoped um, or planned to have had was no longer the case. And so we wanted families to have time away from screens um, as well as just spend times together. So we had photo, we had challenges, Easter challenges that um, families could engage with and mm. to upload those onto the social media, um, you know, as a way to promote 
that community, you know, not with it, not only within their schools, but also, you know, across our organization of yeah. Educate. We used our collaboration with the WWF uh, UK really, really well. They helped us organize online summits and webinars for students and, and teachers to connect uh, with a learning sort of purpose. So, um, you know, just to discuss the things that they were passionate about with the environment and, and they were brilliant, really, really successful. We did like a, an online Globe Educate debate where schools were debating about, you know, topical relevant issues and that was really successful and, and had high levels of, of participation, you know, and engagement as, as well. Mm. I mean, a lot of really positive things there. I think, as you said, one of the hallmarks of this period has been, you know, for all the difficulties, you know, you've seen so nicely how how schools and teachers and pupils and parents sort of, you know, maybe even more than ever res- respect each other and, and sort of re- recognise and, re- and want to reward or, or, you know, show appreciation for that, which is, is really nice. And I think there was only one thing in, in, in that that you said that I think might be interesting just to ask a bit more about. And this is actually at the start where you mentioned about the fact that different schools are on different platforms and you sort of just let them do that. And it, it sounds like it made a lot of sense because, as you say, what, why try and enforce a change if there was a more natural way they could move online to Google or Microsoft or whoever else? Do you think long term, and maybe this isn't something that is still too soon to say definitively, but do you think long term you would look to sort of create a more unified set of you know, online tools that all schools would use? Or does it make more sense when... You know, for whatever reason, one school is happier on one and another school is happier on another? Um, well, it's a good point, actually. So we, I um, have a survey that I handed out and, and invited participants and educators to reflect on how they felt and the experience of, of COVID um, so that we, we sort of garnered all their responses. And one of those uh, questions that I've asked is what, things they would take on board um you know as as we start a new academic year so we're um, collating those and disseminating those and another of uh, a question that i posed was about the, the online platform what they liked about it what they didn't like about it particularly the ones they were using and if uh, you know a uniform platform as you suggest is something that they would want so at the moment i i am just collating all of that information and using that analyzing that discussing that further and potentially considering ways that we can use a uniform platform given time to, mm. to roll it out and strategically think about how it could work but if that is something that schools would like um, and are interested in and that's feasible for us to consider then certainly that's a new project for us to to be considering mm. and, and i suppose it's a final point then final sort of discussion area is on still on coronavirus but maybe hopefully more more widely is looking to the future and appreciate, you know, that it's clear, it's not clear in any sort of way what, what exactly the next six or nine or 12 months holds. But more generally, do you have a sort of a view in what you hope to achieve and what you, where you hope to continue the work you're doing, even less, you know, even if you put coronavirus to one side and talk about, you know, the learning communities and how they can help? Do you have a sort of strategy in place or, or again, has the, have the changes that have happened meant that whatever roadmap you did have has slightly been, is, is still now in, in sort of, you know, being re, yeah. rethought about? Well, prior to the end of the academic year, uh, we wanted to reassure our parents and our students so that regardless of the uncertainty of what school would look like in, in, in the next uh, few weeks, that they were clear that we, were, we had a plan. 
So we, as, as leaders and, and across schools, had, I guess, a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan B, and myriads in between so mm. that depending on what the outcome was, we were ready um, and organized and prepared. And it was sending that message to, to our parents and to our students that while we can't exactly explain the definitive point by point, of what was going to happen, we have an idea and that we'll be able to disseminate and clarify and communicate that to you, uh, which is what we have done. So um, what we want to do is as we return now, I want to make sure that we take on board these learning initiatives because there have been such great things that have come out um, and, and teachers through this survey that I'm evaluating and collating now, the data tells us that there are key trends that teachers all want to use back into their classroom. So exploring those further is what I want to do. The, I guess the initiatives that we've implemented as a consequence to this pandemic um, will continue as part of what we do and offer and provide for our learning teams. I think we would adapt to them already uh, so that they are more relevant to what they need and what we want to achieve. So I really think that the school closures have strengthened um, our professional learning network. Uh, they, we have real teachers and leaders willing and able to offer, you know, concrete levels of professional support, not just um, it'll be fine, don't worry, platitudes, which are fine, but actually concrete, this is where to go, these are the web, webinars to use, these are the web links, this is something that I have done to help support. Um, so our mindset really from the get-go was to view it as, as COVID as a challenge, which it certainly was, uh, but as an opportunity for growth and, and I think the positive impact has, has been um, obvious. And, and I think the strength and the quality and the calibre of, of the learning development and the collaborations with our now community, our Globe Educate community, has really been strong. And we just want to continue to build on that, you know, moving forwards. Yeah, well, I, I think that sounds like a, like a sort of a very positive way to end because as I say, I think it's, it's, too, it's hard to say anything definitive on this, isn't it? But that certainly sounds like a positive message. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who, who I've spoken to as well who I think make that same point that, of course, the challenges have been hard and, and very real. But actually, there have been positives. There are things we can continue to take forward from this that will help us. Um, and, and then in that, we can sort of draw some comfort and, and sort of hope that, you know, this is all going to work out, you know, for the better in the long term, even if yeah. now it's been tough. Yes. Definitely. It was a social experiment that no one really wanted to have. And, but we did do it. We have gone through it and we've, we're, we've come out, you know, better for it. I think teams are more united. Uh, leaders are more united. And we have a clarity in terms of what we offer as to, to our learners and what we offer our curriculum and, and the extras that we do. And I think parents, and I think you mentioned it earlier, which is a great comment that, um, the esteem of our profession as educators has been uplifted. I think parents have had a first front row seat uh, access to what we do and, and how we do it in order to make sure learning is at the forefront of, of mm. uh, for our students. Um, and I think it's been a positive element to, to a lot of things. Yeah, I agree with you. Great. Excellent. Well, yeah, I think it'd be interesting. Maybe, you know, maybe we can speak again in a year's time and, and see where things are then. But certainly, you know, for this podcast and your insights today, you know, really interesting stuff. So thank you very much indeed for your time. And I hope everyone's enjoyed listening. Oh, pleasure. Thank you very much, Dan.